We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 25, a little background on, on Matthew chapter 25. It kind of 24 and 25 go together. Uh, the uh, disciples had come out of uh, uh, the temple area. They were asking Jesus about the signs of uh, his, his coming, uh, the end of the age, uh, when the temple would be destroyed. And uh, he starts talking about his return. And uh, that's what this story is about, this parable of the uh, ten virgins. We're going to pick up in uh, chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The bridegroom is, uh, is Jesus in this story. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with the lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those that sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil... The bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready went in to him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later the others came, Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Now, the story's about ten virgins. They, you know, socially, they all, uh, you know, looked alike. Uh, they were all virgins. Uh, they, they, they were all together in one place. Uh, but the moral of this story is that not everyone that looked like a virgin or, or looked like a Christian uh, is a Christian. The Bible tells us there's going to be many in that day that says, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? We cast out devils in your name. We did miracles in your name. And he said, he's going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. In the story, the oil that's spoken about represents the Holy Spirit. And uh, since we're talking about the Holy Spirit, this is a very appropriate passage of Scripture. Uh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the friend of the bridegroom. He's the one that Jesus sent as a helper, as a comforter, as a guide to us. And uh, the Scripture says that he would guide us in all truth and that he would give power to live, give us power in our lives to live in an age, in a time of darkness, uh, to be overcomers. So everything that the, that the five virgins needed to lead them through the midnight hour was given to them in the possession of oil. And so it's important for us to have oil or the Holy Spirit in our lives. God never intended for you to go through this life and face this life's trials and problems alone. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. We talked about uh, the Holy Spirit is probably the most misunderstood person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. Um, someone came up to me after last week's sermon and, and said, you know, most churches speak, uh, or preach or teach about two-thirds of the Godhead, that the Holy Spirit is rarely mentioned in church services. But I want you to know that Jesus thought it was important for us to have, to be filled with uh, the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He told his disciples that. It was important 2,000 years ago, and it's certainly important today. It's important for us um, to live under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're designed by God to live under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to just think about this for, for a second. In the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve, and, 
you know, he breathed into them and they became living beings. But I want you to know that God did not just breathe oxygen into them. What he breathed is the breath of himself. He breathed himself into them. And so when they sinned, you know, uh, God told them that you can, everything in this garden you can, you know, you can have. You can have everything in the garden, everything in this world is yours, but there's a couple of trees here I don't want you to touch or eat it. And they violated that command. They touched and ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says that they died. But they didn't die in the sense that they stopped breathing. They still had breath going in and out of their lungs. They were still alive. But what they died to is that they died to God, that God was with them. He was with them, with, within them, a part of them. And uh, they died to God, and they were separated from God from that point on. And then we see in the rest of the Old Testament that God instructs Moses on how to build a, a tent or a tabernacle where he can meet with uh, his people. And then later on we see the temple being built under Solomon uh, where people would go and God dwelt in the temple. He dwelt in the tabernacle. People would go. There's a great story I was sharing with uh, some of our leadership last night uh, about Moses and Joshua. And, and the Bible says that, uh, in, and this is in Exodus, that that, uh, that Moses would go into the tent. It was called the tent of meeting. And he would meet God there. And it says that God spoke to him face to face, that God would speak to him face to face as a man speaks to a man. Um, and it says the rest of Israel just kind of like stayed at their tents. They stood in the doorway of their tent, and they would look over and kind of observe what was going on between Moses and, uh, and God. But there's an interesting little sentence in there that says, but the young man Joshua stayed outside the tent and, you know, just kind of like was hovering, was there in the very presence of God and in the presence of God's Spirit. And it says that even after Moses left the tent and the tent of meeting and went to his own tent, that Joshua continued to stay there in the very presence of God. I mean, it is our life. It's, you know, what God designed. He wired us this way that if we really want to have life and have life abundantly, we've got to be in the very presence of God. And so uh, let me share a couple of scriptures with you, and, and um, you know, hopefully this uh, will impact your life today so that you go away just thinking that, you know, maybe there is more to this Christian life. Maybe there's more power in this Christian life. Uh, than I've received, and, and maybe there's more for me to receive. In James chapter 4, verse 4, James is speaking to a group of people, and he calls them an adulterous people. Um, I, I think that they were adulterous in the sense that not that they were having, you know, sexual adultery, but they were committing spiritual adultery, that they had fallen in love with other things and valued other things in this life more than they valued God. And he goes on to say, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that the spirit he causes to live in us envies intensely, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, is envious because we're loving other things more than we're loving God. But he goes on to say, but he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
The scripture says that God opposes the proud. The proud gets up. I mean, when, when, you know, a day without prayer, a day without you reading your word or God's word is just kind of like, you know, just boasting in the face of God. It's saying, God, I don't need you today. I don't need your power. I don't need your guidance. I don't need your Holy Spirit. I don't need your word that I can make it on my own. I don't need you today, God, is what we're saying when we don't read God's word and we don't uh, come into God's very presence. And so uh, we, I, I, I know, I just got to say just in my own life, you know, that all that I am and that all that I have, is come, it comes from God. It's not because I'm a smart man or I'm a talented guy. You know, it becomes because of God's very presence in my life. Um, you know, just the blessing of God in my life. I, I, you know, how many of you were here? I just let me just take a little sidetrack uh, for a moment. How many of you were here when I told the story about the bucket that I lost? Uh, you know, some time ago. Okay. Well, there's not enough hands that are going up. I've got to almost tell the story again um, because this is hilarious. Uh, this has probably been a 25 years ago. Uh, we had uh, a barn that uh, we have horses. My wife loves horses, and uh, we had a barn that had a tack room, and it had saddles and blankets and bridles in it. Well, one day I go down, and everything is just cleaned out. It's empty, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, just bad luck. You know, why me? Why me, God? Why did this happen to happen, happen to have to happen to me? Well, I mean, the bottom line was that, you know, it turned out to be a real blessing because the insurance that we had was a replacement of whatever you had. And so uh, what, what we had in our possession that we didn't realize was a handmade saddle by a very famous saddle maker. And uh, we'd only paid a couple of hundred dollars for it. But w with replacement costs, I mean, that saddle was valued at nearly three or $4,000. And so uh, the insurance, I had to go out and get a letter from the guy. If you were going to build the same saddle today, what would you call, charge me for it? He sends me a letter. And so, I mean, we get this incredible settlement, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's just like you would think that we'd be incredibly blessed by it, and we were, you know. I mean, I, I don't want to dwell on this too long, but several days after we'd received the settlement, we'd signed off, I realized that I had not put in a bucket that the thieves used to carry the stuff away in. I had not put that on my claim, and, and I was just kind of bummed out about it, and I was thinking about it. And, uh, you know, a month or so goes by. We were going to a horse show over in, in uh, Amarillo, and I was still thinking about it. I got to the horse show, didn't have the bucket, you know, needed it. And uh, so we get, you know, we're coming back from Amarillo, and the thought just, to, you know, in and out of my mind, you know, it's not like I'm obsessed with it, but I had thought about it. And there on the side of the road on I-40 coming back from Amarillo is the exact bucket that I lost. Okay, and so I felt like God saying, just stop and pick it up and just get over this and let's go on with life. You know, we've got bigger and better things for you to think about. All right, so I told that story in church about three weeks ago. Uh, on Friday afternoon, I'm driving to the church, and lo and behold, there is the same bucket, except it's bigger and it's better on the side of the road, and I stop and pick it up, and it's like, you know, I felt like God was just honoring me, telling the story again, giving him praise. Amen? Amen. So that's my bucket story. I want you to have one, too, because I, I really feel like, you know, that 
when we dwell in the, in the presence of God, when, when we stand in God's presence, I believe that God's favor and God's blessing is just constantly there. And no, you know, life isn't always going to be easy. We've got trials. We've got difficulties that we'll have to face and that we'll have to go through. But, you know, in the presence of God, the Bible says in his presence there's fullness of joy. And uh, it's like direction and guidance. Lord, I, I don't know what to do in this situation. Tell me what to do. Some of you are in that place right now uh, that you need to know what to do, and you don't know what to do. And God will give you, if you'll just get in that place, and I'm going to show you some more scriptures in just a moment, um, you know, just about getting alone with God. But um, James says that the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, is envious. It's envious because sometimes we start being pulled or, or led toward the world and, and, instead of being led toward God, that it's like we have time for everything and everybody you know, else except for God. And God's saying, you know what? That grieves him. He wants us to put him first. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you know, we're just talking about you know, where God was dwelling. I mean, when God was in the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, where the, wherever the presence of God was, the Ark of the Covenant represented the pre very presence of God. That's why when the children of Israel went into battle, you know, they said, get the Ark, quick, get the Ark. Let's bring it out there. Let's have the presence of God when we go into this thing. Uh, this is going to be bad news, you know. It's going to be difficult. We, we need the presence of God. So, you know, the high priest and uh, the, the Levites would go and, and get the, uh, the ark and bring it to the battle. Sometimes they were successful. Sometimes the children of Israel just thought, you know, we don't have to be obedient to God anymore. All we have to do is just show up with the ark. And they learned a, a fatal lesson showing up like that in uh, the book of uh, 1 Samuel against the Philistines, and the Philistines ended, ended up taking the ark captive. But the point that I'm trying to make is that during that time, during that time, that the Spirit of God or God's presence was outside the camp in a, in a, a temple, in a tent. But when Jesus went to the cross, and when Jesus is, is dying there on the cross, and, you know, he shouts out those, those final you know, seven statements, those last words on the cross of Jesus, and when he says that it is finished, and he breathed his last, and he gave up the Holy Ghost and his spirit. Uh, he says, Father, receive uh, my spirit. And, uh, and there he is, dead on the cross, that lifeless body on the, on the cross. The Bible says that certain things begin to happen. There was a great earthquake. But one of the things that happened was that in the Holy of Holies, this, this little place in the temple that the high priest would go to once a year, there was a veil there. And it says, the scripture says that when he died, when he gave up the ghost there, that that veil was torn apart. And it was almost indicating, it was like the symbolism that, you know, you don't have to go through a priest anymore to get to me, that I am available to all people, that, you know, that I can have a relationship with you. You don't have to come through Moses to get to me. You don't have to come through a high priest to me. In fact, the, uh, Timothy says that there's one mediator, one mediator, Guys, you know, uh, I, I, I grew up this way, and, you know, I just didn't know any better, but I thought if I needed a, a prayer for finances, there was this person or this saint to pray to or that saint to pray to for safety. I'm going to tell you, the Bible says that there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. There's only one way. There's, you know, he, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me or by me. 
And so we see the veil torn, and now God's doing something new. And 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 19, or chapter 6, verse 19 says, Don't you know that your body, that your body is the temple of the, of the Holy Ghost? And then 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says almost the same thing, almost word for word. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the living God, the very living God? And so I, I want to just go back to our story again, and I want to just tell you that there is a cost. While salvation is free and the Holy Spirit is free, it is a gift of God, it is a gift of God's grace, there is a cost to receiving oil, to getting oil. And the cost of getting oil is time. It costs time. It's something that you have to give up. <coughs> Pardon me. Five of those virgins knew from the very beginning that there was going to be something that they had to sacrifice in order to have a relationship with the bridegroom. The other five, the Bible says, were foolish. They weren't concerned about reading God's word. They weren't concerned about spending time in prayer. The way we spend our time reflects a couple of things. Being a Christian is not something you do because you go to church. And being a Christian is not something that you are because your family's a Christian. Being a Christian means that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he came. And the second thing is that if we are walking with the dependence of the Holy Spirit, a successful life, thank you, Randy, means that we wake up every day and say, God, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. Remember what Jesus said in John's gospel. He says, I'm the vine and that you are the branches and that you can do nothing without me. You can do absolutely nothing. Many of you have heard the scripture before. It's from uh, the book of Zechariah. And it says that this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. He's got an interesting name. His, his name is, is made up of two words, Zerub, which means thrown into. All right, thank you. Any, anybody else? <laughs> um, Zerub means born into or thrown into, uh, and Babel, or the, uh, the tower. Remember in Genesis, the, the story about the Tower of Babel? And it says that God threw them into confusion. His name means thrown into, or born into confusion. And he's at a place where it's just like he doesn't know what to do. He is the one, the architect, the builder of the second temple. And there is so much opposition against him that he's confused. I want to say that 
some of you may be here this morning and just not, not knowing what to do, where you are in life, in relationships, with marriage, with who you should date, who you should see, finances, where you should work, education, what you should do. I mean, it's just like confusion there, and, and you need an answer. And notice the scripture, it says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power. See, see, many times we try to go through life thinking, you know, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can figure it out. I've got it figured out. I can do it. Um, but God's saying to Zerubbabel, you know, there's a lot of opposition. I know you're trying to build the temple, but it's not going to be by your might or your power that this work gets done. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. But let me back up. It's not by might, it's not by power that this work is going to get done. It's not by might or power that, the, that your life is going to change. He goes on to say, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Uh, Zerubbabel needed God's presence. He needed God's spirit in his life. You do as well. Jesus again says, and here's that verse from John chapter 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then we see in Galatians chapter 5, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And this is the personality of God. And as we spend time with God, as you spend time with the Lord, you start to developing. You know, the, his nature just begins to rub off on you. I remember hearing a story, uh, many of you have heard of the famous Rose Garden in, in California. And there was a conference there once uh, in a hotel that was near the Rose Garden. Very, I mean, how many of you heard of the Rose Garden? few of you have. All right. Well, it's, I mean, it's just like a sp very spectacular place. But after uh, a luncheon, uh, some of the people had come back to the hotel, which was several blocks away from the Rose Garden, and a few of the people came up to him and said, hey, you went to the Rose Garden during lunch, didn't you? And they're like, yeah, how'd you know? And they said, the fragrance of the roses is all over you. I can smell it. I can smell it on you. That's what happens when you and I spend time in the presence of God. Uh, we, we start to develop this fruit of the Spirit, this love, this joy, this peace, this patience, this kindness, this goodness, this faithfulness, this gentleness, this self-control. You know, we start living life like that, not because, of, because we're trying to do it ourselves, not because of our strength, but simply because God is doing it in us. This is the personality of, of, of God. In the Bible, there is a, uh, there's a principle of power. There's a principle of physical power, emotional power, mental power, spiritual power. And the time that we spend with God equals the level of power in our lives. Wouldn't we all agree that, you know, that we need God's power in our life? Let me just take you to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, here's a, a little background on this as well is that the children of Israel, is in one of those, they're in one of those places in history where they've fallen away from God. And then, you know, naturally what happens when we, begin to, when we fall away from God, we begin to point the finger at God. God, this is your fault. My mess today is your fault, God. If you had shown up, I wouldn't be in the mess that I'm in today. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from God, and my just claim is passed over by my God? 
Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Notice this. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and, the weary, and be weary, but the young men shall, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and they will mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Isaiah chapter 40. They were, they were complaining that he wasn't fulfilling his, his end of the bargain, and God says, no, no. If you need power in your life, if you need me to show up in your life, what it's going to require is you waiting on me. You waiting on me and will bring the, the power of God in their lives. And then we read in, in Luke uh, that uh, this is after the uh, crucifixion, after the resurrection. Luke chapter 24, it says that he, Jesus, opened their minds so that he's talking to the disciples so they could understand the scripture. And he told them, this is what is written, that Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And there's a, this is that waiting of God, uh, waiting on God. This is what the five wise virgins did. They spent time in the very presence of God. They spent time in the presence of the Holy Spirit. They had His power uh, to endure. And then we know the rest of the story. They waited there for about seven days, and then the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they were different people. I mean, we see P, uh, Peter and uh, at the end of Matthew's gospel, the end of Luke and John's gospel, Mark's gospel. You know, just uh, ashamed of Jesus, embarrassed of Jesus, denying Jesus. And then, you know, just a mere, you know, 50 days later after Peter's denial, we see this man just bold standing on the street corner preaching Jesus Christ. How did how'd that happen? What was, the, what was the difference? What was the turnaround? It was that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Notice what the scripture says about Jesus. We can look at his life and learn as well. Luke chapter 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is after he had been alone in the wilderness for about 40 days himself, in the very presence of God, seeking God's face. In Luke chapter 5, it says the news of him spread all the more, the news of Jesus, so that crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I need to ask you, do you have a habit of doing that? Are you in the habit of, of withdrawing? And what I mean by that, you know, I, researchers say that we spend about 17 hours a week watching TV, the average person would, about 17 hours a week on the computer. But let me ask you, do you spend 17 hours a week in prayer and in the Word of God? How much time are we spending in prayer and in the Word of God? If you want the power of God, if you, you want your life to change, what you've got to say is, is God, you know, you're the most important thing in my life, and I, I am going to you, seek you. You know, uh, th that principle of, of Jesus telling the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait. Uh, let me just, I'm, I'm going to move past another scripture. Let me just pass through Luke 5, 17. Um, and the key to this ingredient is relationship. Time with God is the only way that you will get to know him. 
Time with God is the only way that you will mature. Time with God is the only way that your personality would become like his. It is the key ingredient to having a relationship with God, spending time with him. And it's something, notice this, that in that story of the five wise virgins and the five, you know, uh, foolish virgins, you know, uh, the, the time, the anointing, the presence of the Holy Spirit was not something that could be borrowed. They said, give us some of your oil. And they said, you know, we can't. We can't give you our oil. You know, you can't borrow the relationship of someone that you know that they have. Yes, you can go to them. You can find spiritual people. They can lay hands on you. They can pray for you. And sometimes that's an incredible blessing. But the bottom line is that, you know, you need to be more like David and less like Saul. Remember the story of David and Saul? Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. And it would just drive him crazy. And, and someone suggested that, hey, why don't we get David, this young, this young man, he plays the harp. And, you know, when he plays, the anointing of God comes. And, and, and maybe that will help Saul. And so they go get young David. And when Saul is being driven insane, when he's losing his mind, David starts playing the harp and everything is okay. You know what? Saul needed to learn how to play the harp. He needed to learn how to get in the presence of God himself. And so do we. We need to learn how to get in the presence of God ourselves. Amen? All right. So um, the psalmist says Lord, in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I think Benji read part of the scripture this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. <coughs> In the springtime, it's um, ragweed. In the fall, it's chamisa. But there will be a day. There will be a day. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Now, think about this. This is the great Apostle Paul. I've just got a couple more scriptures here. We're going to wrap this up. But this is the great Apostle Paul. He's walked with Jesus He's seen signs and wonders and miracles. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. He's saying that everything I've gained in my life, all, all the possessions, all of the, the fame, all of the glory that I received in my life, everything that I have, he says, I count it all as loss. I, I, I'm just willing to give it all up for knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And then he goes on to say, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. And the only way that he could get to know him, and the only way that you and I will be able to get to know him, is to withdraw, get to that place where there are no more distractions. Now, Jesus went on to say in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And I've already kind of talked about this scripture, but look at the bottom line. He says, there's coming a day when I will have to say to those people, they look like Christians, they act like Christians, they went to church like Christians, but I never really knew them. I didn't know them. Just like the five virgins that show up after they go and get oil. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. You know, this is really true. This is really a story. True story. Jesus is coming back. And, you know, all of a sudden Jesus is back, and I don't have oil in my lamp. It's too late. You notice what the Scripture says, that the door was shut. 
I mean, it's very similar language to Noah in the ark, and it says, and God shut the door. God closed the door. And all of those that Noah, I believe, had been preaching to for however long it took him to build the ark, a hundred years or so, all of those that, that he had been preaching to, you know, that God is bringing judgment upon this land, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's just a fool. He's a fool. Look at what he's doing, building an ark, and, you know, there's not even a lake around here. How's that thing going to float? And then the rain came down. Wait a minute, he's not such a fool after all. Jesus says in Luke 24, I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. There's three things I want to point out here. First of all, he says, go to the city and wait. Just wait on the Lord. Remember what we read in Isaiah chapter 40? Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. New power will come to those that wait upon the Lord. And then he says where? He tells him where to wait. Jerusalem. Um, it, it's a city of peace. Uh, part, of the, part of the word comes from shalom. It means peace. Uh, and you're probably thinking, well, Ron, I can't go back to Jerusalem every time I need to meet with God. No, you can't. But there are places that you can go where you, you know, you're not distracted. Remember last week we talked about Nathaniel? And Jesus said to, about Nathaniel, here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel said, how did you know me? How do, how do you even know me? How, you, you don't know anything about me. We're just now meeting. And Jesus said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. You know what he was doing under the fig tree? He was seeking the face of God. He was trying to get in the very presence of God. And Jesus said, I knew you. I was there. I was there in spirit. I saw you there. Find a place. You find a place where you're not distracted, where there's no children, where there's no noise, no TV or radio or anything to distract you. Find a place of peace and seek the face of God. And then he tells them how long you're supposed to stay there. We stay there seeking the face of God until we get the power that we need to uh, help us in the situation or the circumstance that we're in. Now, so why do we have to do this? Why do we often have to do this? Why can't I just like, you know, just get filled with the Holy Spirit and just be done with? Well, there's a principle. It's called the manna principle in the Bible taken from the Old Testament. And God says that every day I'm going to give you manna. You've got to go out and pick it up. You've got to pick it up every day, and it'll be your food. It'll be your strength for that day. And he said to them, if you pick up more than one day's supply, I promise you it's going to rot, and worms will be in it. You know? And so some of the children of Israel, not believing God, did what, exactly what he told them not to do, picked up more manna, and sure enough, it did rot. There was worms in it. But we look at this principle in the New Testament we know that on the day of Pentecost that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, but notice this statement over and over again in the Scripture. Uh, that happened in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, where the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, it says, again, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes out and he begins to speak to the rulers and to the elders. We're talking about years apart here. Uh, and then we see in Acts chapter 4, after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting, or where they had been meeting, was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. Uh, and then we see in Paul's conversion, this is some 30 years later in Acts chapter 9, then Ananias went to the house and entered, entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me 
so that you may see again. Remember, he was blinded by, this, uh, by his encounter with Jesus. He's saying that Ananias is saying that God has sent me here so that you, may be, that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, the, the water that you drank yesterday, the food that you ate yesterday, was enough to get you through that day. But yesterday's water and yesterday's food is not going to get you through today or tomorrow. You have to eat again. You have to drink again. We have to be refilled with the Holy Spirit again. And as, uh, as I go back to that story, again, just thinking about the, the virgins, um, you know, what we said, the cost of oil, the cost of oil is time. It's something that you have to sacrifice and say, God, this is more important to me than anything else. Remember what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and, and so we get, we get busy in life. Look, guys, I do it, and I know that you do it as well. We start, we wake up in the morning, we got projects, we got, you know, we got things that we have to do, we got plans, we got an agenda that we have to, you know, we have to fulfill. And we can blast out the door without even saying, good morning, God. You know, they say that there's two kind of people in the world, those that say, good morning, Lord, and the other people that say, oh, Lord, it's morning. You know, you know how are you? are you? Do you wake up with a good morning, Lord, God, you know, with you, with your power, with your anointing, with your Holy Spirit, I can conquer the world today. And so, uh, you know, when we stand before the Lord, when you and I stand before the Lord, um, and he just begins to question us. You know, the Bible says that all of us will have to give an account of our life. What did you do? I think it's Rick Warren that says uh, two questions that God's going to ask you. I don't see it in the Word, but it's feasible. You know, that God may ask you, what did you do with your life? And what did you do with my son Jesus? I think those are probably realistic questions that God might ask us. What did you do with your life? And I think that when we stand before God and say, God, I didn't have time to pray. I didn't have time to seek your face. I didn't have time to read your word. Barely could even get to church. I'm not sure that's going to fly with God. Because God might say, but look, you had time to watch the prices right. Or Family Feud. Or some of those other shows on TV. You know, I, I just... I'm not sure it's going to, I'm not sure that it's, well, I'm telling you, it's not a good answer. So the way that we spend our time not only determines our future, but it determines our, our eternity as well. Um, I want to just tell you that, just wrapping this up, there are three sins um, of time management. And this is important for you to know. The first one is procrastination. You know, that's what the five foolish versions says. Look, you know, you said the bridegroom was coming yesterday. You said the bridegroom was coming the day before. He didn't come. So I'm just going to keep putting this off and keep putting it off and putting it off. But the scripture says, Psalm 118, that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, this is God's day. God made this day for you and him to have a relationship with one another. And, and I want to just tell you that your, your boss, your job, is not more important than having a relationship with God. This is the day that he has made. The second sin of time management is pres presumption. They presumed that the bridegroom would not come that night. 
But Jesus has already told us, he says, understand this, if the owner of the house had known what, at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept the watch and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So if you knew, let me just, let's just break it down and get it real simple. If I told you for certain that in four hours, whatever time that might be, that Jesus is coming today, is there anything in your life that you would do different? Are there phone calls that you would make? Are there people that you would apologize to? Are there things that, uh, you know, people that you would call and say, I love you? Is there, if there's something that you would do different than you're doing right now, you know, then you're not ready. You're not ready. And you, we need to be ready. He tells us to be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when we do not expect Him. If there is a right uh, that, you know, that you need to make, if something, if you've wronged somebody and you need to make it right, you need to do it. If there's someone you need to apologize to, you know, you need to do it. You need to be right with God and you need to be ready. And the third and final thing is uh, being prepared or prioritizing. They just weren't prepared. The five <laughs> foolish virgins weren't prepared. Um, they, just put, they just said, you know what, there are other things more important to me right now than the bridegroom coming. Exodus chapter 20 says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then we read here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, this is a scripture that every one of you should know. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that he'd been talking about previously in the previous verses will be given to you. They were worried about houses. They were worried about clothes. They were worried about what they're going to eat and drink or what they're, you know, they're going to wear, where they're going to sleep. They, all of these things they were concerned about, and, and Jesus just simply says that, you know, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, the very things that you're working for, the very thing that you set me aside for so that you can work harder, so that you can have more, that you can have clothes and houses and cars, the very thing that you're working for, the very thing that you put me on the back burner for, God's saying that I will give it to you. I'll give you these things. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. There's something about time that uh, when we give our time to God, that God can take the time that we give to him, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour, God has a way of taking time and multiplying time so that those that have worked and, and pressed in for the four hours of, of just like, I've got to get this done, and the guy that is giving God an hour in the morning and, and spending time in God's presence, God has a way of taking that, that one hour and multiplying it so that you can achieve more in the time that you have left than those that have, have really pressed in and said, I'm going to give it four hours. And God just has a way. I don't know. I don't understand it. It's like a bucket showing up on the street corner. I don't know. It's like the blessing of God. This is the way that God blesses. He can, he can take our time and multiply our time. And then he has a way of breaking time. And what I mean by that is that uh, you know, the, when you're under the gun, when you're pressed, God has a way of just almost like, just like stopping time so that all the things that you need to achieve, and we can see this in the scripture in the Old Testament, Joshua was fighting a battle 
and the sun was going down, and he said, God, I need more time to get this done. And the scripture says that the sun stood still so that Joshua could complete and win the battle. God wants you to complete and win the battle. He wants you to be victorious if you'll give him your time. 